Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with an ESPN legend, Linda Cohn. Alright, let's do this! And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by an ESPN legend. She's a Sports Center anchor, NHL reporter. Ladies and gentlemen, Linda Cohn. Linda, thanks for coming on the program. Hey, Brett. Really good to talk with you. Um, continued success on this podcast. I think this is great what you're doing. Um, and uh, yeah, like back in the day, I mean, I used to do your highlights, for goodness sake. I remember. I'm going to get to something. I couldn't put my <laughs> finger on it. But I'm going to get to something a little bit later. Uh, I've got a quite Maybe you remember the time. I think it was the early 2000s. Anyway, I hope I was kind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you about it. I think it was something controversial where I said, "Not Linda Cohn getting on me," and, and it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. One of those. Okay, things, good. You know where I get angry and call the studio, but it was like. No, Linda, let me tell you my side of the story. It was funny. I, it, was, it was like 2001, 2002. Anyway, awesome. I read a cool story. I think it was in Forbes. Which is better for your overall well-being? Trying to prove naysayers wrong or proving people that believe in you right? Yeah, I mean, great question. You know, I did talk about that because uh, I don't know what it is. I mean, and you know what this is like. You know, you're a professional athlete and now in this other chapter of your career and, you know, succeeding in that. You know, for me, being a woman in a man's world, and I only thought about, you know, wanting to show people that I knew what I was talking about, that I actually like sports just like they did. So that's why I feel I still have this connection with fans, you know, when I still host sports centers, the fact that I'm just like them. Uh, I, I care about my teams uh, probably a little bit too much. I've gotten better over the years as I've gotten older, but that's where I got that philosophy growing up and early in my career is like, well, I, you know, I, uh, I'm going to show you because there were more naysayers back in the day about, you know, women doing sports, you know, and men saying, oh, I can't take sports from a woman. But I would always say my early on in my career, I would get these compliments before there was social media. You know, people would come up to me and and random people, you know, young men. And they would say, you know, Linda, I've, I never took, you know, got my sports from a woman until you. And don't any they would always say, Brett, they would always say, don't take this the wrong way. And I knew it was coming and I knew it was a positive. And they said, but I really, you know, like the way you deliver the sports. And then I'm like, for that's that's a compliment. You know, I'm not offended of like you putting that ahead of it. So I guess when you want to break a barrier, of course, you want to prove people wrong. But as I got older and I got that piece of uh, advice about proving those who supported me right from a young hockey player on the Kings, on the L.A. Kings, Sean Dursey, we were having conversation and he was one of these guys that really no one had faith in and they weren't. Uh, his first choice to move up to the big club. And he said, you know what, instead of being bitter about it and, you know, saying I'll show them, I just changed my attitude. And I said, well, I'm going to prove to the people that supported me. Right. And I really like that, Brett. And I kind of now, you know, using that. So leave it, leave it, uh, leave it for a 22, 23 year old kid to give me the best advice of late. 
Yeah, when I read that, I thought it was really interesting because we all have our challenges. Yours was obviously breaking into, you know, and we'll talk about a little bit later in the memoir you wrote uh, something to the effect that it is it's a boys club and, and you had a serious glass ceiling to break. But all of us have our challenges as an athlete. You know, I always in the back of my mind uh, growing up in, in, in the family that I did, you're always going to have your naysayers. And and then my size out of high school and I'm a 29th round pick out of high school. And Linda, if you would ask me back then, I was the greatest player in the world. And how could you pick me 29th? And I talked right. to the scouts about it and they'd say, well, you know, it's a size thing. And I thought size. And I did. I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder through probably a couple years into the big leagues. And uh, I look back on it. I laugh at some things that I did. I laughed at what was going through my mind at the time. But in the end, I thought it, it was actually served me as a positive to have that chip. But when you put it the way you put it, that instead of proving everybody wrong, proven the people that are in your camp right. It's really kind of a, a, a different way of going about it. That's probably equally as effective. Yeah, it sure has helped me. And then also, you know, when I, when I talk to young people, a lot who are trying to break in, in whatever field they're trying to succeed in, you know, you just, it, it, it just may, you just try not to be bitter. You just try not to think like, take everything so personally. And I, and I say that, Brett, and you probably gone through the same journey, the same path where you thought you were, you know, all that. And, you know, others, it's subjective. Others will think differently. And to this day, you know, I still deal with that. And how do I handle that? Um, and, and so do you want to spend the rest of your life or doing something that you love focusing on the negative or what others think about you as opposed to what you've already accomplished where you're at right now and how you're going to make the most of where you're at right now. And, and, and it's really, I, people are amazed when I say, wait, Linda, you're still, this is still a challenge for you. And I, and I'm honest and I say, of course it is. You always, you know, have to be um, not on guard, but you always have to do what it takes uh, to not have any of these weaknesses to let old habits uh, infiltrate how you are at this moment. Uh, I, I can't tell you enough how I have to be reminded of that. And another thing, Brett, you know, just because, you know, you've climbed a mountain, so to speak, it doesn't mean that you stop climbing. It doesn't mean that you stop working and, and sweating. And you have to remember what it took to get, got the, get there at the top, at the peak. Yeah. Very cool. Um, grew up in New York. Yes. What, what was Linda Cohn like as a little girl? I know uh, your dad, big sports, big sports fan. You spent <laughs> a lot of time with him growing up. Linda Cohn as a little girl. Yeah, uh, I love that. You know, I'm laughing at that. Like, you know, some people, you know, they have issues with being, you know, when you get older, right? And they say, go to your inner child or whatever that, all that, <laughs> you know, mumbo jumbo is which I never understand. But when you said that Linda Cohn is a little girl, I remember a little picture of me. I was a kid with low self-esteem, actually. You know, I started wearing glasses when I was 12 years old. But before that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I came from a middle-class family. Uh, I lived on Long Island. That's where we really grew up. I moved out. We moved to Long Island when I, I was eight years old. And, um, and I remember just uh, loving sports with my dad. But I was a kid with low self-esteem. So I used sports 
and use bonding with my father uh, gave, gave me something to look forward to, which is why I've had this emotional connection with sports and emotional connection with the teams that I still love. Um, you know, in the past, I've took losses much harder than I than I do now, of course, but uh, it still gets to me. It still bothers me. But I love music, too, Brett. I, I was like a top 40 radio kid, you know, listening to the radio. But I would listen to really sad, depressing songs like, you know, it, uh, you know my generation. It was like, you know, singer songwriters in the 70s. And because I'm older than you. And, you know, and and like, I mean, it was like, I mean, talking like, you know, the Carpenters would, you know, rainy days and Mondays hurting each other comes to mind. Any kind, even if we move up in the on the chain of just just like sad songs, breakup songs. And I don't even know what the heck they were singing about. But it, for some reason, I could relate to it because I just had this like lonely life. But if it wasn't for music and sports, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's just that's what the little Linda was about. But I paint I paint this doom and gloom situation. But I because I have to remind everyone, wait a minute, I'm came from a middle class family and we belong to a tennis club. So I don't know what, what, what my problem was. <laughs> was it, tell me you were rocking some air supply or some Dan Fogelberg. Yeah, Dan Fogelberg. Oh, man, I loved him. He died too young. You you can't even imagine how. And first of all, I just loved him. I would just. He was just such a cool guy from Colorado. Uh, but yeah, that's what I was rocking. That was a little bit later, but the early stuff, I'm trying to think John Denver, you know, I just, you name it. Like those, those Jim Croce. This is before yeah. your time. It was like early that, 70s. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is a little bit before my time. Yeah. Cause I kind of got it, started listening to music to probably the late seventies as a kid. Yeah. Uh, what were you that, into? What were you into late seventies? Had to be that, like rock and roll. Late seventies. Right. It was, I was, I was all over the board. I still am. I mean, I can go from Eminem to uh, Metallica, but yeah. I love, I love some good Elton John. I love, yes. uh, I love yes. my favorite, my favorite concert. And I've been to a few Yeah, is uh, Fleetwood Mac. And I've seen yes. it three times. Best concert. I love, but I love going to ACDC. Uh, you know, recently we went, I took my son. He's, he's a kind of a rock and roll guy. I took him to uh, Pearl Jam. And yeah. he, he didn't even know who Pearl Jam was. You know, he's 18 years old. What does he know? He and, know. But then we got there and he's like, yeah, you know, he was watching the musicians because he plays guitar and, and he thought that was really cool. So I'm, I'm all over the map, but I did listen to Air Supply. I did listen to Lionel Richie. Uh, you know, and and I when you said those sad songs, believe me, I listened to well, mine were the Lionel Richie, the Air Supplies. You know, when you break up with your first girlfriend in sixth grade, and I would listen to the music and right because you but, can relate to it. Those yeah, I was kind of like you speaking my language. You know, yeah. The, uh, it's funny with the bands. My and you mentioned your son. Um, you know, my son Dan. You know, I, he's he's twenty six. Dan and I bond over the band Kiss. We've seen Kiss multiple times in concert. Uh, Dan just like thought they were like the coolest thing, you know, and thought it was an outrage that they weren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, you know, he just went on this rampage of like, you know what? And I was like, I am in. So that is like one of the things Dan and I bond over, uh, you know, is 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 that group Kiss. But yeah, I mean, I, usually you'll find people who are in, in sports, love sports, something to do with sports. They also 
you know, love music and all kinds of genres. And I, too, am all over the map. Okay, and I know this is an East Coast thing, but this was fascinating for me. I mean, you've talked about your whole life, so it's not a big deal, but you were a hockey player. Yeah. Now, growing up, you grew up in New York. I grew up as a kid in New Jersey. Now, my hockey experience, I loved hockey. I loved ice hockey. But my experience was no deeper than coming home from school. It was cold enough. The lake froze. And <laughs> we're going to go, you know, if there was snow on, on the on the lake, we're going to go shovel it off and play amongst our buddies. I never did anything organized. I never had a uniform on. It was whatever I came home from school. Now, how did your hockey career begin? Did you start that way or, or did you go organized right away? Because it is pretty interesting. And, uh, different i would say or yeah, de- definitely. for you to just say oh yeah i'm gonna be a hockey player yeah definitely uh different well i you know again i i the my dad and i watching hockey you know early ranger games you know and i was i discovered like um you know i first started playing tennis at the age of 12 but then by the time i was i would say 13 i started playing street hockey uh with the boys uh on our block you know, in the neighborhood. And uh, they put me as goalie and I had just gotten contact lenses around that time. And believe it or not, I I was really good at being a goalie. Like I had great eye-hand coordination. And, you know, before that I played some other sports too, but I was like, this is cool. And you know why it was cool? Is that I was responsible for making, um, changing a game around. Like it was all on me. And I was willing to roll the dice. Let's say I let in a bad goal. Yeah, I can also change the game around that way in a negative way. But if I could make a big save, look who's got all the attention. This wallflower, me, right? Look who can make something happen. And I was digging that attention that I had that control uh, in a game. And this was street hockey. And then my mother, God rest her soul, found a league on Long Island where we grew up but 45 minutes away. In, uh, it was in Farmingdale because uh, I grew up in a place called Corum. So it was about 45 minutes away, a league that accepted girls. But I had to play with boys that were like significantly younger than me. And if you want a time frame on this, and I'm dating myself, but I don't care because anyone could just Google my age, is the fact that it was probably around 1976 that they, so I was then 14, 15, and I can only play with eight-year-old, nine-year-old boys, ice hockey. And I learned to skate with 40 pounds of goalie equipment on. I had never, ever, never, ever donned a pair of ice skates of any kind. The first pair of skates I I put on were goalie skates. And uh, so I played this league for a couple of years with boys that were significantly younger, you know, and I always tell this story because I think it's significant and it helped me prepare for what I do for a living now when I first started out was that, you know, here are these like moms taking their sons to, you know, to, to hockey practice and to play hockey. And then they're looking and they're seeing this girl, me, with a goalie mask and the ponytail sticking out of the back of my head. And they're like, you know, what's she doing there? And, you know, I heard the whispers. I heard it. And I had to block it out. So even, you know, moms, you know, were like, what is she doing? What's, she should be babysitting my kids, not playing hockey with them. And so I started trying out for the high school team, the boys team in high school. And I eventually made the team in my senior year. I was the backup goalie, but I still started about eight of the games. And that was a great experience for me as well. Uh, Just being with the guys and being part of their team. And, 
You know, I told that coach at the time, I won't let you down. And those four words I continued to use, you know, as I entered the broadcasting field, the sports broadcasting field, when men, and it was men who gave me opportunities to prove uh, I could handle the stage of being a, you know, a sports reporter, a sports anchor and be in that business. And hockey had everything to do with it. How are, how are the, uh, you said you made the, the varsity as a, yeah. sen- as a senior, but you're playing yeah. with the boys. This isn't the varsity yeah. girls team. How, no, did the, boys. How, how did the boys treat you? How were you welcomed? Yeah, they treated me great. Uh, I'm not just saying that. They, they, they were great. And that started with the captain. Uh, his name was Randy Alessi. And uh, he was this cool kid. Honestly, I had a big crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he just had that flow going, Brett, you know, he had everything going on and, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and he respected me, you know, especially, you know, cause I, I played well and he respected me. And then kind of when the captain is, you know, feels good about the situation, everyone follows suit. And there's a couple of guys that gave me some shit, you know, but not serious shit, just teased me, you know, innocent stuff. But I shook that off. That was no big deal because I, you know, we were part of the team. So that was what was so wonderful. And I, I always say this, it was better uh, to me. It's, it's funny, Brett. Again, my senior year in high school, that to me was like my senior prom for me because it raised my expectations. Meaning if I wasn't going to the prom with like Randy Alessi, the captain of the team or, you know, the, the quarterback of the football team or whatever, I'm not going. And in a way, I, you know, I didn't go. I didn't go to the prom like I, I could have with others. But I sat. I think I remember I sat home and watched a Nick game with my dad the night of the senior prom. It's like I already got a sort of fix, like playing on this boys team in high school. I already felt like I was a, a, a princess, uh, you know, or a queen uh, to reach this height uh, in high school. I didn't need to go to a senior prom. Do I gr- regret it? Not really. Uh, but I, I feel there was a, a connection there between the two situations. So I asked you about the, the boys on the team, and that was a good experience. Now the other side, how about the, because you girls can be tough, especially in high school. How was your reception by the junior and senior girls, the senior girls in your class? Like, you know, you have a hockey game. And what was it like at lunch? Was it? Yeah. You know, yeah, what's interesting. You know, they, they, they didn't, I mean, I, it wasn't like in my high school, Newfield high school, um, the hockey team was basically not varsity. It was varsity, but it was more like club level. So, uh, you know, they didn't even, they didn't even know it was like a secret life I had. They didn't know I would tell them, uh, but they didn't even know that was going on. They were not fans of that. It was more always about the football team. That, that was the thing. So they didn't even realize how hockey was not, as big as it should have been back there in the day in the high school that I, that I was at. So, and plus, honestly, I didn't have a lot of girlfriends. I didn't even have, I, I was so all wrapped up in, you know, playing hockey, doing that and trying to get a B in, in all of my classes, even though I ended up mostly C pluses, I wasn't a great high school student. I honestly, I had like, I can count my, uh, my friends on one hand, in high school. True story. So it was, it was kind of interesting. I didn't even have to worry about that. And I don't even remember who I ate lunch with in the cafeteria. (laughs) In college, it was different though. In college, that was the first time I played hockey with women 
And uh, that was a that was a great experience, you know, a whole different kind of bonding and different experience. But because I was able to pl- play with boys my whole hockey career up to that point of college, you know, I was the best player on. Well, maybe there was one other player that was really good on the women's Oswego State hockey team. But anyway, that was also a, a great experience. But yeah, I mean, yeah, hockey wasn't as huge at, at that timetable in that day and age. It wasn't women's hockey now is so huge and so great. And I love to see that uh, because it's, it's just fantastic how the sport has grown. So you mentioned Oswego. I think it's SUNY. Correct me if I'm wrong. SUNY Oswego. Oswego. So you go there and you're going to play. Now you're playing on the women's hockey team, which is probably a come down for you because you're like, I like playing with the boys better. Oh yeah. It was different. I mean, the the game was slower and I really had to adjust to that. Uh, so that's why when we played great teams like Cornell, I would rise to the occasion. Like the, the player I mentioned that was just as good as me, she was a, a defenseman. Uh, her name, Ann Potter. And she had, remembers all these stories. We did a Title IX interview the, uh, a few months ago with our anniversary. And she would bring back all these stories that, and I had forgotten in my freshman year, you know, Cornell was like mighty red, great. These women were amazing. I've never seen anything like it. But uh, I shut him out like one nothing and I stopped like 60 something shots. And she remembered that. And, and it was like, it's because I'm used to that kind of quality. But uh, the story I tell about women's hockey back in the day at Oswego State is the fact that we, the men and the women played in the same uh, facility called the Romney Fieldhouse at the time. And uh, Oswego, if you don't know about Oswego, uh, it's very cold and it snows a lot and it's a lot of snow and it's very cold. And But for our games, since not a lot of people showed up for women's hockey back then, we're talking late 70s, early 80s, uh, they never turned on the heat. And maybe that had something to do. Well, it was like the chicken before the egg, which came first. Well, they weren't going to turn on the heat until they saw more fans show up for our games or vice versa. Maybe they didn't come because you didn't turn on the heat. So that was the difference with men's and women's hockey at Oswego State. Men's hockey at Oswego State, excellent, you know, great and all that. So, um, but tremendous experiences. And it's, again, we know we're all parents. It's amazing what sports and how that does and mold you for the real world and the challenges that you face. Because it really helped me tremendously. It's not, it's not just a, you know, a cliche. It's fact in my case. Yeah, without a doubt. And raising kids and, and going through the the travel ball and, and dealing with, and, and you know, you've seen this probably with your own kids, dealing with the parents who are, who are the biggest pain in the ass out of everybody. Cause oh, my God. Everybody, you must have stories about that. Oh, everybody's little Johnny's going to the big leagues. And, and yeah. without being rude, you like to just take him aside and say, let me just tell you about little John. He's got no <laughs> chance. He's got no chance on this <laughs> earth. But what he does have a chance to do is be on a good team and be a good player and learn stuff for later in life when the real world hits him. And we can give him a really good experience if you could just back off a little bit. <laughs> but uh, right. yeah, I've got too many stories about that. But you're right, though. When you're talking about sports, it does mold you. It teaches you lessons. Uh, it teaches you how to win with grace. It teaches you how to get your butt kicked and get off the mat and come back to fight another day a lot of things and i've always preached that to my kids if you're fortunate enough i i had that preached to me when i was growing up you know it was always that sports was never forced on me but it was always encouraged and you know growing up you know with my yeah. dad playing my dad was playing till 
I was in the minor leagues and dad was still playing in the big yeah. leagues. Didn't he so, play to like early 40? What did he play? Did he yeah, he, he played. He, he played. I signed in 1990. Yeah. And that was his last spring training was 1990. Yeah. So he, he always laid out for me, but there was never any pressure. And it was weird. It was like, no, we'd, we'd love you to, uh, to love sports. And particularly, we'd love you to kind of get into the family business and be a baseball player. And it just so happened uh, from the get go. That's what I loved and, and yeah. was for, fortunate enough to, to do what I did. But uh, yeah, there's so many lessons in, in sports, you know, people, I, I think nowadays you see people pushing their kids into sports for the wrong reasons, you know, for, the, for that, for that prize at the end of the rainbow, which, but for about 99.9999, there is no prize and there is no rainbow, but there's a lot of lessons in between. You know, getting back to that, um, it's interesting. I was playing tennis with a friend of mine today and we were talking about something that happened in business. And, you know, you can relate to this. We were talking about the mindset that you have to succeed, whether it's in Major League Baseball like you did or me in the sports broadcasting field. Uh, we, we always thought, and the way we were taught by our parents too, is that if we, if, and we, and we have to be careful not to aim for perfection because there's no such thing, but it was really hard for people like us to not aim for perfection because we felt if we're perfect, no one can downplay us, uh, send us down, you know, criticize us in any way. Um, and you get the reward, right? You know, you're a winner. Well, in business, in, and it doesn't have to be in, you know, in Major League Baseball, which is a business, and in my business, it is a business. But sometimes you can be perfect or close to it. And sometimes, you know, you, it may not matter in, because it's a business. And how many times do we hear that in sports? Well, it's a business. They had to cut so-and-so because of this or that. And it makes no sense, even though so-and-so is the most popular person on the team or so-and-so, you know, drives in a million runs or so-and-so gets the ratings. And we were having this long talk about it. And so sometimes the way you're brought up and the way your, your DNA is just because of, you know, how let's just say both of our paths, for instance, you know, it, 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 in real life sometimes and in our business, it just doesn't matter if you're perfect. And that's what I try to tell, whether it's my kids or, or anybody else when I speak to young people, is that you might be wasting your time because it may not even matter because it's so subjective for those who are making these decisions. Without a doubt. And, you know, I, I mentioned my upbringing. I didn't feel any pressure. There was never pressure put on me. I did ask advice in my in my adult life a few times from my dad i took it twice and i didn't take it once but he was right all three times right for, for me it was that rise to the big leagues and i got to the minor leagues and i got through the minor leagues really quick in about a year and a half wow. and i got to the big leagues and all of a sudden i had some learning to do and I was wow. getting, I was getting schooled, you know, which I see a lot of young players today they get to the highest level really quick. And it's not instant. You're not a star. It's, you got to learn. You got to be knocked down a few times. You got to have some humble pie. Most of us do anyway. And I remember that, you know, that, that 
when, as a young man going up and down from that big league shuttle, from the big leagues to AAA to AAA to the big leagues. And, and I remember this one time, Lou Pinella and myself, we early on, we were at odds all the time. <laughs> we'd, we'd have it out in his locker room. Ends up, fast forward 20 years, he's my one of my favorite all-time people. Uh, but early on, we butt heads a lot. And I remember I was sitting there. We were playing Cleveland Indians, and I was doing well. I was hitting. I remember looking up at the board, and I think I was hitting 327. And nice. it was it was a small sample size, but uh, I got two hits that day. My last at bat, I came up with a runner on third base in less than two outs. And it was a big run. I think it was a tie game. I ended up striking out, swinging at a ball over my head, and I come back to the dugout. Lou looked at me. He goes, uh, son, he goes, uh, yeah, what the hell are you swinging at? <laughs> And I kind of, you know, it, like I said, we're at odds. And I said, hey, Lou, I threw the bat at his feet. I said, why don't you go up? You forget how hard it is? <laughs> Fast forward, the game ends. We end up losing the game. So I'm, I'm having a rough time with it. He calls me into the office, sends me to the minor leagues again. Oh. And uh, I remember talking to my dad and bitching and moaning. And, you know, this is my dad who's played 20 years in the big leagues. And he's like, uh, okay, are you done now? I said, yeah. Or did you listen? He goes, I listen. And he kind of said what you said. Does it really matter? Yeah. He said, Brett, Brett, life is not fair. Get that into your head real quick. He said, if I were you, I would get my butt to AAA and play so well that he can't help but call you back up again. And you know, I'm just this little kid kicking and screaming, thinking I was wrong. But I took that advice and it helped me later on in life. And it, it was one of the one of the lessons I learned from my dad. And he was sitting there, you know, he was on my side. That's right. You're right. You're hitting three this. You're doing this. You you don't deserve to be sent down right now. But right. it doesn't matter what you think. You are right. sent down. There's nothing you can do that will unsend you down right now. <laughs> he said, so I suggest you go kick butt wherever you're going instead of going down there and moping for two days. He said, it'll serve you much better. And he was right. And I went down and I killed it. And next thing you know, I called up. Eventually, you get called up to stay. But those were the little lessons. And I, and I think you were pointing to that uh, previously in your comments, what you were talking about. Yeah, that was right on point. And that's such a great story you just told. Uh, but that is absolutely, we're, yeah, we're on the same page. And and it is, it's, it's the old saying, life isn't fair. And just, you know, you just got to kick butt where you have the opportunity to kick butt. So, you know, because then, you know, deep down in your heart, in your soul, that you did the best you could. And that's pretty damn good. All right. You get to college. You're a goalie. You're more of an athlete. Or you're more of a student. Uh, definitely an athlete and a sports fanatic. That's all I, you know, that's all I was. I, you know, I found out later that if it wasn't for uh, playing hockey, uh, on that boys team in high school, I never would have gotten into Oswego State. I told you earlier that my grades at high school were not anything to be proud of. And I was a, you know, a C plus student. I think maybe I was a C student uh, in high school. And in Oswego State, you needed to be, uh, be at least a B and you needed to have other curriculars. So I found out later that the men's hockey coach, Herb Hammond, the late grade Herb Hammond, got me and told uh, the uh, admissions board about me and how important I would be for the women's program. And that was the reason why I got into Oswego State. 
So I started out playing at Oswego State. You'd think, oh, great. Now, again, I didn't know that. Okay. So my freshman year, first semester freshman, I'm like, oh, this is so much fun. You know, I was still, I, I, you know, and I was one of those kids. I have a November birthday. So I was 17, you know, when my parents said goodbye to me and I went away to college at Oswego. And so, of course, immediately having a lot of fun, fill in the blanks, you know, doing everything. And then uh, I said, I'm going to play for the tennis team because it's cool. Played on the tennis team. And then I played on the hockey team. And next thing I know, um, my grades came out and uh, I was on academic probation my first semester, 1.8. 1.8. You got to have, right. <laughs> <1. 8. laughs> like, have a 2.0, Linda. I know that. I know, right? So I had 1.8. I was on academic probation. And it was really, I was like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you mean in high school, you can get away with it, right? College, I couldn't. So I had, to, I had to get off the tennis team, couldn't do two sports and do my school works and actually learn something. And so that's the kind of sacrifice I made. And then each and every semester went up and up. I got off academic probation, got like a 2-2 um, my next semester, then I think 2-8 in my sophomore year, and then it was like 3, and then my senior year, shockingly, was like 3-2 and 3-4. So yeah, that's, to answer your question, uh, I, it was a serious wake-up call early on in my collegiate career. When did you decide the... Uh the career path you wanted to follow or was that yeah, something you yeah. went into college with? Yeah. No, I, I, you know, when I picked the college uh, back in the day, in my day, <laughs> you picked the college, they had uh, college handbooks. Like it wasn't online where you can see what this college had, but this co- I remember looking at the catalog of this college and reading about it. And that what attracted me was I had a great communication studies program. So I knew, you know, I knew, I had an idea that, listen, I can't be a professional hockey player. I want to do something in sports. Broadcasting seems great. So I want to make sure I had a good program, communication studies, broadcasting, concentrate. That's what I majored in in Oswego. That's what brought me there. They had the women's hockey team. I go, that's a win check. And apparently they had these amazing sunsets over Lake Ontario. I went, check. That's great. And then I went to that orientation when they played that beautiful you know, they, I don't know if every college does this. I don't know if USC did this. USC is just automatically brilliant. But in Oswego, where, all they, where it is the snow and you're in near, for people who don't know where Oswego is, it's 45 minutes from Syracuse, New York. Okay. It's, and it's cold. So they, they, they put together this video uh, in orientation with like, you know, amazing. You mentioned Dan Fogelberg earlier. One of the songs in the background <laughs> is a Dan Fogelberg song. I think part of the plan there's a Seals and Crofts song. There's all of these songs from back in the day that are just like, you know, great lyrics and wonderful and meshed in with beautiful photos of youngster college students having the time of their lives. And so I decided to go to Oswego State. But uh, I am. I, so that's why I went there because of the, all of those things. And, and I just felt like, you know, if I, if I couldn't be on TV, if I couldn't be on the radio talking sports, well, then what's the, what's the, always have a plan B, C, and D. And I, I thought, well, I'd like to be part of a team. You know, I miss not being part of a team. So like being, I would love to have been, uh, you know, on the PR staff on a professional sports team. That would have been great, you know, or anything like that. 
So those were always my backup plans um, to do for a living. And it turned out, you know, it turned out all right. I started out in radio, working seven days a week, freelancing and all in New York City, all radio stations. And then I started doing local cable TV on Long Island, doing news just to get my hand in that kind of, you know, learning to do TV. And I said, okay, I'll do news. You're not going to let me do sports. That's fine. So I turned that into a positive. My big break came in uh, when Seattle, a place that we both know well, um, you know, uh, hired me. Cairo. To, right, Cairo. Thank you. Yeah, the uh, CBS affiliate at the time. Uh, John Lipman was the news director, and he took a chance with me. You know, he, um, I sent my tapes there a year earlier, and he called me a year later because I Seattle was a place I wanted to live. Like, I decided... Where do I want to live? You know, I, w- I wanted to leave New York. I knew I couldn't make it there. So I had to go somewhere else. Some people get lucky and they, you know, just stay in New York, not me. I knew I had to go elsewhere. And I'm like, where do I want to live? Where can I see myself working? Seattle sounds beautiful. And uh, so that's where I ended up. And that's where ESPN spotted me at Cairo. But the experience I got there in Seattle was amazing. Like, you know, being this New York girl, I never really covered college sports it's not big in new york it's professional sports as you know that's what you know moves the needle i didn't care about there were no big time college sports but in covering um sports in seattle i was covering the washington huskies the football team the women's basketball team the men's basketball team you name it and that was a great experience and then um you know the sonics were there at the time when i was at cairo tv in seattle and just uh and then, of course, the Seahawks, you know, was huge, the biggest thing there. So that was all great. Um, and you know what? It was important. And ESPN actually came calling six months into that job at Cairo. Um, and, and I was married at the time. And, you know, my husband at the time, he's like, we didn't move all the way to Seattle just to move all the way back east six months in. And I'm like, okay. And that's where I had to like take a step back and say, okay, family first. And honestly, Brett, that was like a great move for me because I got more experience in my career covering sports, doing more things. And it was great to live in Seattle at that time. And also I slowed down my life. Like I, I had my first child. I had my daughter, Sammy. She was born in Seattle and I never knew and I never understood when the right time was to just stop and get off the treadmill and, you know, have a kid. And the Seattle lifestyle and all that really gave me that opportunity by saying no to ESPN the first time and knowing that they'll come calling again. And that was the greatest, really one of the best moves I ever made. And uh, they did call again. And so we all went packing out east, back east, to fifth, when my daughter turned 15 months and we uh, we went back east and started to live in Connecticut. That's where, and the rest is history. The rest is history. You did a lot of radio, and you did a lot of TV. What were the challenges and the differences between radio and TV? Now, me being, you know, this is kind of something I've just gotten into, and it's really been an educational process. You know, you just sit there, and as an athlete, being interviewed your whole life, is yeah. like, all right, it's easy. It's like, okay, let's get through this interview. We could knock it out in eight minutes and you give your answers and, you know, you can work, work through the room. But 
now doing this, just doing, you know, doing uh, 15 minute clips around the country that I do weekly and, and doing this, this podcast twice a week, which is I got into it just with a bad attitude. Agent right. hired an agent. He said, "Listen, you need some reps. You need to practice on that side of the mic." And you know what? Am I, what's my athlete mindset? Oh, it's easy for me. I've done this model. I'll tell you what. It's been really educational and doing all the prep work and getting the guests lined up and putting it. There's a lot more that goes into it than as an athlete. I I could come to appreciate, and uh, it's been it's been educational. It's been a learning process for me, and in the at the same time, I approached it out of a fish out of water, and it, it's kind of been fun. It's kind of been fun for me. I'm interested for you the difference uh, that, that you know, the radio, uh, the television. Was it, oh, we got to speak in sound bites on television. We only have a certain amount of time. A radio show can go longer. What were they for you? Yeah, it's a big difference, um, especially when you're first starting out. When I first started out in radio, I was doing all they let me do really were sports updates. I couldn't host a sports talk show. The first attempt at it, they didn't really support me and I stunk at it and I had no confidence and it was awful and it and actually uh, didn't last long. And it was, it was like a one, one show a week kind of thing, but I felt like I was on an Island and I just, it just, they just, it wasn't the right spot for me. Um, and so when I got to doing TV you realize it's more of a team. Not everything uh, is on you. Sure, when I had the, you know, we, I was the weekend sports anchor, weekday sports reporter at Cairo. We'll talk there because that was my first real experience at TV. You know, the uh, a lot of it, you know, you have a producer with you. You have someone that helps, and you know, you know, you're not uh, feel you don't feel alone. So it's always like more of a, more people involved in television and you just don't feel you have to prepare. Uh, and, and let's fast forward to sports center, you know, sports center, you know, I, I couldn't get away with not knowing what I w- was doing. I couldn't get away with resting on my laurels. I couldn't get away with any of that. Uh, because even though there's a whole group of people that put a show together, uh, it all, you, the camera's on you. If you screw up, it's on you. So, uh, I, I, you know, and I'm saying I never screwed up. I definitely screwed up, especially early on, whether it's pronouncing names or this or that or whatever. I knew sports, but it's another thing talking to the viewers and, and, and getting that connection going. Radio, and now later in my career, uh, and I've been doing a bunch of stuff the past five years on Sirius XM, uh, Mad Dog Sports Radio, and also NHL Network Radio, that's been great for my my skills because I it got me to be more conversational, which kind of helped me on television as well. Because while you read a prompter, you know, you're still writing your stuff, but you read a prompter on TV. When you're doing sports talk radio, you know, you're taking calls. You don't know what they're going to say. You have to do a, you know, an opening, mo- you know, mo- a montage, a opening, you know, whatever, of like make some points. You have to, you have to create excitement you got to keep the listeners you have to know your stuff and so i find with radio you have to prepare a hell of a lot more than than tv just because radio is more about you and how you come across and i'm sure that's how you know why you've escalated in this podcast career and everything else you do because i bet you i bet you i'm reading your mind but you have to agree with me right with your this doing this podcast it's probably made you a better broadcaster on TV. 
Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, because I did. I came into it thinking this is this will be so simple for me. Yeah. And at, and at first, you know, I'd have people. I I don't like to have people around me saying, uh, "Oh, you did great." I said, "Tell me when I stink. Tell me what do I need to improve on." And right. I remember the agent at the very beginning said, "Brett, I want you to do a podcast. I want you to get your buddies in sports, and I want you to interview." And I said. No, I don't want to do that. You know, and first, the first thought was, I've never interviewed anybody in my life. What the hell is that going to be like? I'm used to being the guy interviewed. And I started and I was rusty and and I get, you know, we, we've got a pretty good team around me here that by, to be honest, I couldn't do it without them. They've taught me a lot and they're very honest with me. And they'll say, you know, down to breathing. Hey, you're, you're, you're breathing too much. You're doing this. Take a, take a, Take a break. You don't have to get it all out. You know, so the little the, the little nuances that and I'm still learning them now. But but I think you're right. It carries over to TV. And I remember the first time I went on as not the athlete, but as now I'm bringing you the news. And I sat in my chair at the desk at MLB. And I saw the playback of my first time ever at the desk. And we were talking about Dusty Baker was getting hired. and We did an interview and I thought I did good in the interview. But right. I watch. I watched myself on camera replay it back. I was sitting in the chair, Linda, like, all right, Brett Boone, the player's here, and you're lucky to have me. Let's get this interview. I mean, I was slouched back in my chair, and I'm going. <laughs> and the first thing is, listen, you got to sit upright. There's a reason that some guys have pens in their hands. And I learned those little things. I looked at myself off air, and I said, I can't be. That's terrible posture. I don't look like I'm bringing you the news. But I was so used to I was so used to being the guy that came into the studio, sat back in the recliner and gave you answers. Well, no, all, <laughs> all of a sudden now you're not that guy anymore. Brett. you've got to interview that guy in the lazy chair. So, yes, it's been, uh, you know, I've, I've been at it for a short time, but it's been a huge learning experience for me. And like I said, I've got a lot, uh, a lot more room to improve on it. But it's definitely something that's been it's been a challenge for me. It, I, when I got. When I got out of the game and I retired, if you'd have told me one day I'd be sitting here doing a podcast two times a week, I'd say you're crazy. That is nothing I would ever think about doing. But as we get older and as life goes on, uh, things that are important to you, things you want to pursue change. And uh, it's been it's been a challenge for me, but it's been a fun challenge. Well, you know, for what it's worth, and I'm not just giving you lip service. I mean, you've done your homework. You've prepared your research for this particular uh, interview of me. So that that's the thing. And people don't understand that's so important. And your questions have been great, you know, and I'm, and what I love about is right now, what this is a, I think this is such a listenable podcast because we're having a conversation, you know, it's just like someone's eat the key to a great podcast is someone just eavesdropping. Like they want to feel like there's eavesdropping on a conversation that we're having. I, I, I put it this way. Tell me if you agree with this. When you pull into the driveway and you don't get out of the car, then you know you're listening to a good podcast because you want to yeah. finish it. You know, yeah. and it, it was explained me that way. And I said, that is a good way of explaining it. I laugh when I'll get a guest and they'll say, yeah, Brett, okay, can you send me, you know, send me what I should be prepared for? I said, don't be prepared for anything. I said, right. you're going to be, me and you are sitting in a golf cart Right. And we're going to bullshit for, I don't know. I, I, I had Reg, Reggie Jackson came on three hours, and, three hours and 12 minutes. 
Oh my god! And at the end, I'm like, Reg, I gotta go, kid. <laughs> but but it was great, and the time went by. You, you said it exactly right. It's about a conversation. It's not question. Okay, next question. Well, I've got a question on my on my uh, piece of paper here that says that. Sometimes I get through. Uh, you know, you prepare for it. I get through. I'm done with the interview. I didn't get the five or six points. Usually, that means that was a really good show because it was so packed with with good content. I couldn't even get to all the points. So that's that's kind exactly. of little bars that I you know that I set and little little things I like to hit and go over when I'm done. Because you know, Lynn, you've done this for so long. Whether it's Sports Center, whether it's uh, a show on the radio, whether it's a podcast. You can probably take your earphones off, turn your mic off at the end of an interview, and you know in your heart of hearts, that was awesome. Or right. you also know when, you know what, I wasn't my best today. And it's pretty obvious. Right. Right. And, I, you know, kudos to you from, you know, and this is hard for a lot of us to do, even at this stage, is to watch yourself or listen to yourself. Uh, I, I still to this day... I, I know when it's good. I don't have to look at it. I know when it wasn't as good or just, meh, I don't think I want to see it. It's not right. going to help me. Because I don't know about you. I hate, I hate when I was playing. I yeah. hated, I hated, I loved watching myself play because I could, that, that gave me, that gave me intel. Okay. Cause I had certain checkpoints in my swing where I knew, all right, if I'm doing this, I've got to make it, I've got to make an adjustment. That makes sense. So yeah, it, was makes sense. it was necessary for me to watch myself play, but the after, you know, after the game doing an interview, even if I, it, it, when we step what we just talked about, even if I knew I did a great interview, I couldn't stand to watch myself. I hated, <laughs> I hated listening to my voice still do still can't stand <laughs> listening to myself. And, uh, you know, I, I think you're right. It, it, when you get away, you know you did well. Just don't even listen to it. it no, how'd you do? It well. Really well? Did you listen to it again? No. Sometimes I have to. And, and sometimes yeah. I, have, I have people that point it out. Go back to the 40-minute to the mark and listen to what you said. How can you be better there? And it's like, oh, it's like nails on the chalkboard. But well, I'll at least do it. that's better. Yeah. Now, that way you don't have to sit through your whole self. That's Someone right. Yeah. Actually knowledgeable and say, go to the 40 minute mark. Do you, Linda, do you like, do you like watching yourself? Uh, I don't, I don't do it anymore. I, I really don't. I, I, I'll only like, I, I, I do. I'll be honest. I like in, in the early days and everything I thought, especially again, after I knew I had a great sports center or said something funny or was good at this highlight or really, you know, just kicked ass. Then I want to see it. Um, but to, at this point, 30 years in, uh, I, I don't tape myself, if that's what you're asking. Um, so I don't really see it. But if I happen to see, you know, I still want to see, okay, how is the camera on me? Like, how, you know, how do I look? You know, how is the lighting? Oh, you know, these things, you never, you know, you never lose it. I'm going to be honest with you. You never lose that kind of like, okay, how do I look? You know, right. Okay. It's all, and it's you all know? about, it's all about, yeah. it's all about, the it, you know, and everything. And you know, how to, you know, how, what, I, and another thing, like maybe the dress I wore was not great, you know? So then I would know, okay, I'm not going to wear that again. You know, that kind right, of thing. In right. That right. You know, and, and guys could feel the same way like with ties or jackets, whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, if this, I'll tell you, since uh, this past year when I was uh, the new experience of and which I'm very grateful for um, the, the, the I was able to be in between the benches 
during several of our NHL games and, uh, you know, ice level and, and, you know, report and be an analyst from there. Um, the, I force myself to watch myself on those because that's a new, new world for me. Even though I know the game played the game being down there, uh, doing those quick interviews, uh, also reacting to things that happen on the ice and how did I sound and all of it. I've made myself watch. So it's, I just think it depends what stage you're in. If you're in on an early stage of something you're doing that's brand new. I think it is important to watch yourself because you may not have that instant, you know, result in your head. Like, Oh yeah, I kicked ass. I don't need to see this. But when it's something new, I think it's a good idea. And I think that helped me in, in my first year. But let me tell you, Brett, I was like, I was cringing. I was afraid. I was afraid to watch myself because I wanted it to be so good. Well, it's funny because we don't sound like we think we sound. Like, <laughs> you know, when we talk, our ears don't hear what we actually sound sound like when we replay it back. Like, that's not how my voice sounds. It sounds more like uh, my younger brother. Well, that's, <laughs> that's how you really sound. But not, not, that's not what my ears tell. That's, I guess that's the biggest challenge for me is is really thinking i sound different than i do yeah that's funny you know it's really funny sometimes just because maybe i've been in this business for so long already and and i take it as a compliment but i swear to god there are some young women and i can't think of their names right now that i don't i hear it like i'll put on sports center i'll put on and they have my same inflections and i'm not being cocky or anything i'm just saying like oh my god that sounds like me <laughs> You know, well, I mean, you're, right? you're you're kind of a pioneer, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, you've been on the airwaves forever. At some point, yeah. young, young women up and coming go, all right, that's Linda. She's yeah, kind of the, she's cool. kind of the one. That, so they watch you and they pick up those. Yeah, I would look at it as nothing but yeah. a compliment. All right, let's get to Sports Center. Uh, your first show, we had him on recently, Chris Myers. That was your first. Love Chris. Yeah, Love he was him. great. He was great. That was your first show. I'm interested in this. You did the Cairo. I, I, I believe you're at Sports Channel America early on before you got to Sports Center. When you got to Sports Center, and that's kind of the golden age. Was that like the big leagues and the minor oh, yeah. leagues? In the minor leagues, like all right, Cairo was good, and we were getting there. But this is this is a bit. This is a major leagues right here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is. I, I, I run out of words. I mean, because uh, this show, Sports Center, uh, the viewers were people like me, you know, nuts about sports, crazy people, fanatics. And so I had to show them that I belonged. I knew that, you know, that I'm just like them. And that's how I decided that I could connect with them, not by using, you know, catchphrases, not by trying to be something else, but to be me. Uh, but there were some bumps in the road along the way early on because I tried to be like Dan Patrick or I tried to be, you know, like somebody else that I work with. And it took me uh, a couple of years to realize, OK, Linda, you know what you're talking about? You know, sports, just go out and do it. And I've told this story in uh, other places, interviews and podcasts, but it's significant because two years into my contract at ESPN, uh, after getting no feedback on how I was doing as a sports center anchor from bosses and from the people that hired me, um, I got called into their office 
two great bosses that I had that helped mold me, John Walsh and Steve Anderson. And they basically told me, hey, Linda, we know you know what you're talking about. We, we see it. We see that you talk sports. and you, That's why we hired you. But we don't see that on the air. You're not you on the air. And unless you improve in the next six months, we're not going to pick up your option. And I'm like, I was devastated. It was like really a kick in the gut because, again, I had no warning. I thought they, who knows why I thought they were inviting me into their office after a, sh- a sports <laughs> center. I thought it was like, you know, hey, you know, good job, whatever. Hey, whatever. No. And it was that ultimatum. But they, they, they were helping me. They weren't, they weren't like, oh, wow, I can't believe that I hired her. No. They knew it was in me. So they hired, they had this, um, this woman, Andrea Kirby, uh, who uh, sat down with me and went over, speaking of watching yourself, went over the way I did highlights and just gave me a few pointers. And I was great at following directions and guidance because it was the big leagues. Brett, I wanted to stay up with the big leagues. You know, yeah, you don't, want, you, don't want, you don't want Lou to send you back down. No. So <laughs> I stayed up. And, you know, a few months later, they saw the improvement and they picked up my option and gave me an extra year. And now I've been having extra years all along. So, you know, you just never know. But that's why um, that's just an interesting story that I always bring up because it wasn't always a, a walk in the park just because I was hired there. And it's such a it's such a cool time, it, it, and not only in my life, but at that time. This is before social media. This is for our smartphones, yeah. where we can see anything we want right now. Uh, this is a time. Let's see. I think it's ninety two for you. That's right. right that's when, when I'm, I that's, started. Right. That's what, right. That's right. When I'm getting to the big leagues, and I'll tell you what. Especially my minor league run. I signed in nineteen ninety, and I've told the story many times. Into to the people I've had on the program that are from those sports center days, the early days of MLB network. Yeah. It's like, as soon as that minor league game was over, I ran home. I went to my apartment, wherever I was living that particular year. And it was all about sports center. What did the, what are the big, what are the big boys doing? And right. you guys were the one to bring it to us. And that's, great. that's what that, that Interesting at that time. Okay, you go from Cairo, where now you probably walk out in the city of Seattle and people recognize you a little bit. You do Sports Center and you leave Bristol. Everybody knows who you are. How was that for you? Was it a shock for you? Or it was like, wait a minute, no, this really is the big leagues. Yeah, you know, uh, that was pretty cool. I'm always the most recognized in airports, sports bars, and obviously arenas and stadiums across the country. Uh, that, that, well, that always has cracked me up. And my kids to this day, they always are amazed that I'm still amazed that I'm recognized at the supermarket or something, or someone hears my voice and they're like, are you Linda Cone? You know, like I recognized your voice or, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the, at the mall, you know, no makeup, hair tied back, whatever. And, you know, random people could recognize you. But the point is, it's like, I was just like, that was another reason that propelled me and inspired me. Because you want to kick butt on the show. A, what got me really hyped up is the fact that I knew we were the only game in town. 
I knew people like you, Brett, were rushing home to watch SportsCenter. I knew regular folk were watching SportsCenter. Kids were watching SportsCenter in the morning because I mostly did the late show, which was re-aired eight times all night and in the morning before kids went to school. And that's what really got me pumped up, like extra pumped up, knowing so many people were watching. It got me more excited to know I was doing a particular sports center that a lot of eyeballs were on. And the other thing is the chance when I would meeting athletes like you or, you know, I remember the first time I met Shaq yeah, and I think he was still with the Heat at the time or Orlando, I should say. Orla- yeah, Orlando. the Magic. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first time, you know, because later he was with the Heat. But when he was with Orlando and I was amazed he knew who I was. <laughs> I'm oh, like, we we all know who you guys are. I know, but that was the crazy part of it for me. So that was the thing. Not the fact that I was recognized, but more like, wow, you know who I am and you watch me, you know, like, you know, and also that's the difference. See, that made me feel uh, more comfortable when I would go out and do these interviews because I already earned their respect, you know, and that was important to me. I was not in it to win Emmys and make athletes cry. I was in it to connect with the athlete because I felt I had a lot in common with them because, again, not different level, but I played hockey, I played tennis, but most playing hockey with boys, I, that's how I wanted to connect. And that was more important to me, like that they could let down, you know, let down their guard and not worry about it. And they could tell me things in the vault and I wouldn't say anything like that meant more to me to earn their trust. Uh, you know, that way you're invited to things. You're, oh, she's cool. Like, right, right, you know right. What I'm With, no, without it, there is a, there is a skill to it. I mean, once you, once you disrupt that trust, and I'm sure you saw it not not with yourself, maybe, uh, but you saw it with others. You you lose that trust with an athlete; they will shut you down. And yeah, I know and that. My, I know that for sure. The people I dealt with throughout oh, my career. I can imagine. And you just you know you said something that's so cool that's not a canned remark. It, it's oh she's cool. That's yeah. exactly that's exactly what I would say. <laughs> they came in and somebody, hey, Booney, what's the, the new reporter? She's oh, she's cool. That yeah. meant you can talk to her cool and it's not leaving this room. Not going anywhere. Right. That's that's, that's right. what that's the real world. That's how we spoke. And, and it was simple as that. Hey, Booney, what do you think? She's cool. All right. There's no more yeah. conversation. That means I can say anything to, to her or him, whoever it is. Right. And they've got my trust and I don't have to worry about it because, you know, maybe I was a veteran at the time. And if I say something, you can trust right. that. You know, when I was a kid, I'd be looking to Jay Buhner. Hey, Bone, what do you think? She's cool. <laughs> okay. That's who I learned from, you know, it's, that's, that's really neat. And you know, what's so awesome about those sports center days. It's just a cast of characters. Cause it was, you were giving us the, you know, you were giving us the sports of the day and you're doing the highlights but everybody, there were so many different personalities and you could tell everybody was having fun with it. It was almost like, and I had Charlie Steiner on. I said, Steiner, oh, classic. I said, Steiner, you know, what you kind of reminded me of back then. And, and these are such fond memories. The, the beginning when I first started watching sports, I said, you kind of remind me of like SNL when it first started. Those cast yeah. characters. Oh, you were the guys with the sports version. And uh, he just started laughing. I, all your guys' commercials are 
still to this day tremendous. Uh, Steiner was one of my favorite guys. He still is one of my favorite guys. I talk when I talk to him. I, I I turn on that radio when the Dodgers game's going on, and I hear Steiner, and I it always makes me smile. I'm like Charlie. He's just he's Charlie. He's Charlie, and he, yeah, it's great. He was so much fun to to work when I did sports. And so he was like him and Bob Lee were the news guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were like you know they did the early sports and that six o'clock Eastern, and you looked at that. Because again, with the no, no computers in your phone, you know, none of to find out what happened during the day. That would be your first take of what the hell happened during the day. Um, and I'm sure you guys had it on in the clubhouse, you know, before you took the field for games, because um, it was always on. But yeah, that I'm so grateful that I was a part of that. And you're right; it's a great uh, comparison to SNL because we all grew up with watching SNL because that too was sort of like the only game in town of like comedy and entertainment all in one type of thing. And you knew when it was on and it was appointment viewing. It's sort of like our parents and grandparents who watched the Ed Sullivan show back in the day, um, stuff like that. So that's what sports center was because that's all it's just, and uh, the commercials were great when the bosses allowed us to finally let our personalities come out and actually pay for a professional advertising company to, uh, put us in these commercials with athletes. And it was such a win-win. And then that carried on uh, onto the show. And when we were allowed to be fans, um, I said this in, a, in one of these other interviews I did that, I, you know, I told you already what a sports fan I am. You know, my teams, for those who don't know, are, of course, you know, uh, the Mets, Rangers, football giants, and the Knicks. So, um but when I worked with the late great Stuart Scott, he was amazing because he really, I give him the credit all the time because he let out early and often his love for the North Carolina Tar Heels. That was his team. And he didn't make any secret about it on the air. And once I heard him talk uh, about them in the way he did on the air, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do that. And and then soon you'll you heard other anchors do it. And I think that uh, that gave viewers of all kinds another reason to connect with us as sports center anchors, because, again, we were like them. Yeah, you mentioned Stuart Scott, what huge personality passed yep. away, John, the great John Clayton recently oh, passed away, you know, from my, from my time in uh, my time in Seattle. Uh, yeah. So many of them, you know, the originals Berman and Tom Meese and George, yep. George Grant, who I ended up spending a lot of time with in my Cincinnati years. But uh, wow. Yeah. Can I tell you a story about Tom Meese that to yes. me in my life is very important. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, uh, he, you know, we talked, you mentioned Chris Myers. Yeah. I did my first with him and Chris and I did a lot of those 2 a.m.s. On the weekend shows, two AM Eastern shows that were repeated, but I did a bunch with Tommy's early on my first year, my first, uh, and it was amazing because uh, I learned so much from him. He didn't care about being on camera when they when the producer said, "Hey, you got to write an on camera lead in into the you know Phillies Mets game." He'd be like, "I don't need to write anything. Just put me up on camera ten seconds on camera. Let's go right to the highlight." And that was the importance was the player, the athlete, the game, the score, the action. 
And even though I felt that way already, he took it to another level where I knew, yes, I knew that was right. It was not about being on camera and writing poetic and, and making it about me and making the highlight about me, the anchor. It's about making it about these guys who are out there on the field. And I, I, if I ever copied someone when I did highlights, I copied Tom Mees, meaning uh, the way he did a highlight. And, and I remember when he passed, uh, Jack Edwards and I did the first sports center after uh, Tom Mees, after we lost him. And it was a Sunday morning show. And I don't know, Brett, I don't know. This was crazy. And I'm not just saying I was doing the highlights uh, on that particular show of the games the night before. And it was almost like Tom was with me because I had the same hand motions. I was very animated like Tom was when he did a sports highlight. I was I felt like he was with me and I'll never forget it because that show was dedicated to him. And uh, it just really, he really meant a lot to me uh, in my in my career and how far I came uh, in this career. And that was because of Tommy. He's very lucky that I had a chance to work with him as much as I did before he passed. Very cool. Um, how competitive were you guys? Uh, yeah, I think. Or, or was it more of a team not competing necessarily with one another? but for the better of the overall product. I think whoever I was anchoring with for me, I can only speak for myself. I wanted us to kick ass. You know, I wanted the chemistry. Uh, I wanted, you know, to, to, to show people that, you know, we're great together or this or that or whatever. I don't think we we're like take notes. Uh, I think there were some people that were like, you know, how come they're always on this show? And then, the, you know, I didn't kind of get involved in that. I was just happy that I was on a, a particular sports center. Yeah. Maybe I wasn't a regular all the time, a five night a week show type of thing. But, um, because a lot of times I was a fill in uh, on the 11 o'clock Eastern while I was mostly doing the overnight show, those late shows I was referring to, but I don't know. I think we all just were happy. Not that we're happy to, we were just, we knew where we were. We were at the worldwide leader. We were on sports center. As you mentioned, the big leagues, I, I don't think there was a lot of competition among us. I think like what you see is what you get. And when you, you mentioned earlier, that seemed like we we're all having a good time. We basically were all having a good time. Well, as far as sports center, I think you might be the all you've done the most sports centers out of anybody over 5,000. How, how has Linda Cohn grown from the beginning of sports center, which is 92 to current? Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, well, I'm a hell of a lot more confident than I was when I first started because I was just trying to be, I don't know, please everybody. And, you know, when you try to please everybody, you please nobody. Um, so um, once I realized who I was and what I was and how much I love sports, now, I mean, I, I always, I'll tell you, Brett, we, uh, even to this day, uh, when I host SportsCenter, um, hosting it, you know, whenever, I can't even keep track of my schedule, I have to make believe, and it's quite possible that pe some people are seeing me for the very first time. And in fact, it's the truth. And because I believe that people are seeing me for the very first time, even though I've been doing it for 30 years, it makes me a better sports center anchor because I have to prove to them that like, hey, you know, that uh, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, I belong here. I still have that mentality. 
And and just to let you know, there's some women that I play tennis with uh, in El Segundo who had no idea who I was. We were, I was just in their tennis league. And it just came up the other day. And they're like, oh, wow, are you still working? And I go, yeah. And they go, what do you do? And I go, well, I work for ESPN. You know, I don't even say like a very low key. Well, what do you do there? And it's just like playing a little game. And they go, you're on TV at like clueless. They have no idea. And I go, and that makes me feel good. Like, I don't care if they don't know who I am. But then like, oh, I'm going to watch you now. So, of course, the next time we got together, you know, uh, for a tennis match. And they <laughs> we had and no they go, idea. Well, we had no idea. I'm like, well, you really do know your stuff. Oh, my God, you're on TV. You look great. Oh, because they only see me with a ponytail and the cap and the, the tennis skirt and the whole thing. And, you know, and they don't, it's like a different Linda. Wow. Yeah, that's that's amazing. If they really don't know, you're like, honey, I've been doing this before you were. <laughs> well, there's probably people that you run into left and right. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, it, and the farther you get away from it, you know, my kids, my kids, buddies, you know, the real, yeah. the real staunch baseball. Yeah, they're always going to know. But it was funny. I We went and saw my uh my dad always talks about it now. You know, dad's now 75. Wow. And he said. It's really humbling when he's at working with a minor league catcher, working on, you know, blocking ball nice. or whatever technique. And he'll go, Brett, you know what? I'm at that age with this catcher I'm working with. doesn't know who the hell Bob Boone is. <laughs> and I start laughing at him. I said, Dad, man, that's life, baby. And he goes, you know, it's kind of a humbling thing. I always yeah. thought people knew I was a catcher. I said, well, I still knew you were a catcher. You were pretty good. I said, but these kids, no, they, they watch yeah, they watch YouTube. They watch TikTok. When no, did he? When did he break? When did Dad break? When was he? His first year in the majors. Dad's first year, I think, was nineteen seventy-two. So he played wow. seventy-two. I think he might have got called up in seventy-one, and then he played through ninety. Yeah, so seventy-two. Because you know, Linda is a little girl. You know, I started watching baseball. I discovered the Mets in nineteen seventy-four. And yeah. dad, 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 was, dad was playing. Dad was playing. Yeah. I yeah. said, Dad, this, I said, those guys that don't know who the hell you are, they weren't around when you were on the, in the World Series in 1980. They don't know who you are. They don't know who Tug McGraw is. They don't know yeah. who, you know, they don't know who Steve Carlton is. They might know who oh. Pete, Pete Rose is, but that's about yeah. it. You know, it's just, it, life goes on. Yeah. Wow. What do you think yep. the one? Th- what do you think the one thing is makes ESPN so special? Huh? That you know the, the, how well they cover a sport. Really, I mean, once they, you know, bite their teeth into a uh, a league, you know, spend the money to show games, uh, they just really go after the. I feel really the best people uh, to deliver. The message, and they they're great at telling a story. I think, honestly, honestly, Brett, I think the best thing ESPN does uh, are the like the documentaries and the thirty for thirties, or just a sports feature, SEC feature, they call it, telling a story. They're great storytellers. So they not only it goes without saying, Sports Center's great and all that, but they're they're great at telling a story about an athlete, about a team, about something that we had no idea about that we couldn't if if like the way they tell it I'm in I'm intrigued and I think that's that's what that's what ESPN does better and has done better than anybody since I've been there 
is how they tell a story. Little rapid fire. This is going to be former athlete analyst that came to ESPN, came to uh, Barry Melrose. Great. Love Barry. The, the most interesting man in the world and the greatest mullet in the world. Greatest mullet. Dick Vitale. Oh, energy. That's what comes to mind with Dickie V. We love Dickie V. Always happy, always positive. Coach Ditka. I love Coach Ditka. <laughs> no, I'm in the minority. Told it like it was. So refreshing. Keyshawn Johnson. Keyshawn, speaking of telling a lot like it is, uh, he'll, you know, it's hard to stop him. You know, he'll, he'll get on something and he'll keep going. Lot, Keyshawn Johnson, uh, bold opinions. We'll finish with a baseball guy recently on my podcast, Buck Showalter. I love Buck. Remember, I'm a Mets fan. Yeah. Buck was the best when he was with ESPN. Unbel- I love Buck. Buck knows how much I love him. Thank God he's with the Mets. Fingers crossed. You got it, Booney. Fingers crossed for my Mets. And I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. These Mets, I'm impressed with them. If you can keep uh, that one-two combo at the top of yes. that rotation healthy. Scherzer and DeGrom healthy. It could be a replay of like the 01 World Series with Schilling and Randy. I love that. And by the way, can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, another story. I mean, this is, this is I mean, it, Bring this it. is just, this is classic me as a Mets fan. You should tell Buck this because now that he has adopted the Mets as his own. Um, here's the thing. On a serious note, 2001, 9-11, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone and their grandmother, obviously, was rooting for the Yankees against the Arizona Diamondbacks in that World Series. Me, born in New York, you know, touched me greatly, 9-11, but I separated it from my hate at that time, really, for the Yankees and how they took <laughs> attention away from my Mets. So who do you think was rooting so hard like it was the Mets in the World Series? I was rooting for Arizona with all of my heart for Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, and Luis Gonzalez, and Mark Grace. You want me to keep going? I oh. could not believe it. Uh, it was like the Mets won the World Series when they beat Mariano Rivera and Luis. It was jumping for joy. How about that? What kind of New Yorker am I? Well, you know what? I'm a Mets fan. And the Yankees just, I'm sorry. They just thought they were going to roll themselves out there and win. And they were lucky. They were lucky to, you know, what's what's that reliever's name who was awful? They were lucky it was that close. They would have been beaten before it got the, that, like, young, young well, Kim or yeah, something. Yeah, he Kim. He awful. Gave, yes, him. He gave up. Uh, I think Tino he, took him deep. Yes, he, they all hit home runs off of him. Well, like, that's, I could have hit a home You could have hit a home run off him. And that was, let's see. 2000, that's kind of a bittersweet year for me because my Mariners, you remember, that's when we won 116. Yes. And it was Let's supposed to be up. About that. It was supposed you, to be over, right? It's like you win 116. We lost to the Yankees. We lost to the Yankees. And you talk about shell shock, Linda. We got to a point with that season uh, because I remember 
you know, the, the Yankees with their start this year, everybody was calling me about the 2001 season. And do you think the Yankees are going to win 116? And my answer was absolutely not. No one will ever win 116 games in a season ever again. Right. I, I don't know. think so. I think we were on a magic carpet ride. I don't know why we were chosen to be the 116 win team, but it got to a point where everything happened. You know, then 9-11 hit and we, yeah. we, we broke, the, we, we won the 116 games. Then it was a big letdown. Then it was, wait a minute, we got to go play the postseason. But that particular team, we had only lost maybe two series the entire season. Amazing. So we yeah. we go to we go to a city and it didn't matter. It, it wasn't like, hey, we guys, we got to really get on him, you know, get to their bullpen. It was like, oh, we're going to win. Just a matter of playing the games. So we went to Cleveland in the first round. Uh, they gave us a little bit of a fight, but, you know, we won that. Like we expected to. And we went to New York and we had handled the Yankees pretty well that particular season. And we rolled into the Bronx thinking, well, you know, they're, they're a little tougher than Cleveland will be, but we'll kick their butt. We'll go to the World Series. It's just a matter of getting through all the games. We've already won the World Series. And I remember going to New York, and we played the worst we had played all year. And I don't think the, yep. Yankee, the Yankees didn't play particularly well. They just played, and, and I put it so, uh, so, so wonderfully, they played less bad than we did. <laughs> but well, I'll tell, yeah, we, and we were shell shocked. I remember, and I tell the story all the time. I remember getting on the bus in the bus in the Bronx yep. after losing Game Five, and, yep. and it was over. And I remember looking; we were looking at each other on the bus, like this didn't just happen, and it did. And that's when it all turned. And you know how it was back then. It's like oh, nine eleven, the healing of New York. Yeah, it must be the Yankees' year. Yeah. So then when Arizona beat the Yankees, that was another shell shock. So it was just a twist and turns that postseason. Can I go back and to that series, mm -hmm. your team against the Yankees? And I know he's no longer with us, but I'm sorry. Like, and again, it reminded me when I was watching the Derek Jeter, the uh, captain uh, document, um, you know, the document. Right, right, right. Fan Plus. Now, I'm sorry. Again, being a Met fan, people have to understand. <laughs> I thought at the time everyone was making such a big deal about Derek Jeter. If Jeremy Giambi would have just slid, why? <laughs> I, this is one of the biggest mysteries in sports to me. Why um, Jeremy never why slid? He would have been safe. I'll tell you. Okay. And then it, instead, Jeter has this, oh, my God, an iconic play by right. Jeter. Right. It's Well, it's always, it's the, the job of the guy on deck. So whoever okay. was on deck. Okay. Well, let me just tell you, and, and not to say that I never made a base running mistake, but if I could, Linda, when you're out there on the bases, yeah, you yeah. use whatever you can use. So uh, going first to third, the only time I would use a third base coach is if the ball's down the right field line. If the ball's in the right center gap, I'm still going to use my instincts because I'm watching the play develop in front of me. The only nice. time I'm going to use my third base coach is when the ball's directly down the right field line and the ball's behind me. I can't see anything that's going on. I can't see if the outfielder bobbles the ball. So I'm going to, I'm going to rely heavily on that coach. That being said, there's also an innate something that's in you that when I'm round in third base and I'm about to score, whether I see the ball, whether I, I feel whether it's going to be a close play 
or or I can stand up and I'm going to be safe by 10 feet. There is something uniquely innate in, in just playing the game so long that you have. I can feel it, whether it's the crowd, it's something. So when in doubt, I'm going to hit it. I'm sliding. Right. That being said, still my job on deck is to be back there and be telling my teammate whether to slide or stand up. I think in that particular case, there was nobody there. But I can't use that as an excuse either to your point. Yeah. There's something you feel inside. You you don't allow yourself to be surprised by standing up. I would try to do that at second base on a on a tag play. And I used to tell people, I said, if I don't if, if I don't say a word, no matter how I pay, because sometimes I'd stand at second base with my hand on my hips, maybe scratching my forehead, and then all of a sudden the ball's on the way and I'll grab the ball and tag you. So I used to tell you know, players, I said, if I don't say anything, I, I wouldn't trust me. Now, if I tell you, if I tell you heads up or it's a foul ball, I'm not going to lie to you. I would never do that. That's kind of not etiquette. That right, you, that's you, don't, not- you don't tell somebody there's a foul ball when it's fair and then tag them out. That's, those are fighting words. But if right. I if I don't say anything and I used to tell opponents this, if I don't say anything. You might want to slide <laughs> because a lot of times I could catch you napping. And, right. and pretend, you know, so that being said, I can't defend that play. Right. Because there's something innate. You should know to slide. But also there wasn't somebody, a teammate telling him to get down. And it ends up being one of those one of those yes. things. You you being a Yankee hater, you've yes, got to watch you gotta, you gotta watch for the rest of your life. Well, I'm telling you, I'm not a particular huge fan of the Yankees. I have right. had a lot of rough games in that in that old Yankee Stadium. Although yeah. I, love, I love that stadium, oh, I love so much pl- better than I love pl- piece of crap. Yeah, yeah, I love playing there, but I wasn't a hugest fan of the Yankees. They had my respect. They had my utmost respect. Those players and those teams, but it doesn't mean I like them. And now, fast forward with with my brother being the manager, I'm kind of yes. for- I'm kind of forced to pull for him. And it's re- it's really too. against it's. I'm really against it. I'm really against it. Yeah, right, and I you wanna- know what? You're brought, and Aaron's such a great guy, and I hate this, but I, I just I I'm almost between. I don't know. I can't, I'm just. Kidding. You don't I know what to do. You don't know what. To I, do. I, I, know, I will. I will like, tell him. Doesn't he want to be put out of his misery? <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I want to ask you one story. I'll get you out of here soon. Okay. This was yeah. this was a really cool one. Uh, I think you were anchoring when Ali died. And I, I just wanted yeah. you to talk about that day, what you remember. Yeah, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, you know, you just never know. Sometimes you're on the Aaron Sports Center. Obviously, things happen. You know, obviously, great games or you're following a great game. And it's always happy, right? You know, you're, you, you kind of like feed off the excitement of whatever that, that game was or what that player did or that milestone reached, a record broken. But then, uh, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, this, uh, it's just sad. And, you know, again, I've worked so long at SportsCenter over the years, but, you know, there's been, uh, a, you know, a few passings while I was doing the show, but the one that stands out the most is, of course, when we lost Muhammad Ali. And, you know, it's... It, 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 it's not like a situation where it was like a Kobe Bryant situation where I was not working when, when Kobe died. It was tragic and we didn't expect it. But we knew that day, sadly, was going to come from Muhammad Ali. But what I loved about uh, being there, again, knowing that everyone is tuning in to watch that. Uh, so ESPN and SportsCenter um, can get the best people on who knew him, 
who grew up with him, who loved him, uh, whether from the fight game, from uh, politically, whatever it was. So uh, at the time, we just had to wing it. You know, we'd have that. We well, there'd be a voice in my ear saying, Linda, we have so and so on. We're going to talk about Muhammad Ali. And then, you know, my co-host at the time, same thing. You interview this person. And it was it went on for four hours. We were on the air for four hours which was a lot at the time, um, but it was just a, a tremendous, uh, it just shows you what sports is, right? I mean, you know, it's just, it's bigger than, it's bigger than a game. It can be bigger than a game. And when you lose someone like that who changed the game and was more than that, was more than sports, uh, it was just very moving. It's just, uh, you know, I ran out of words, but yeah, that was one of those, one of those moments uh, over the 30 years. Yeah, and Ali, you know, bigger than life figure. Yeah. Uh, you wrote an autobiography, breaking into the boys' club. You're on Sirius Radio. You're still on Sports Center. In the Crease, is that a podcast that you do? Uh, In the Crease is a hockey highlight show. Um, not, um, it, it was the name of a podcast that I did for the first year right. when uh, hockey was back, but uh, not doing that anymore. But so we're sticking with In the Crease, which is a, hockey highlight show on ESPN plus. So when all the games are done, if you just want to see every goal, every highlight of every game in the NHL that night, you just turn there to ESPN plus and I'll, and I'll host that too. So I uh, sports center and that and Sirius XM. Yeah. Um, why quit now? Right. Keep busy. Quit going. Linda, this has been a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure. The great Linda Cohn, uh, one of the originals, still going. Uh, definitely one of my favorites. I always loved watching it, even though I'm tell- I can't think of it. One time, Linda Cohn. Did I, rip I, you? It, you, I told you didn't rip me, but it was something. I was in my locker in Seattle, and I had <laughs> I had like a I had a corner locker, and, and there were a couple TVs, and one I could always watch. And I saw you on there one night. And I said, turn that up. <laughs> and you said something. And I went, oh, come on, Linda. I wonder what I said. But it, was, but it wasn't that bad where I changed my view of you. You know how when yeah. you, some people you like and then all of a sudden they said something and now there's fighting words? It wasn't yeah. to a point where now I don't like Linda. It was like, no, Linda, you got to hear my side of the story. Yeah, I probably <laughs> I don't think I, other, I, That's yeah. right. But no, it was nothing that I was really offended. I was more sad. Like, come on. Linda's one of my favorites. She's being, mean. She's being mean to me on TV. <laughs> see, back, see, you could have see. It, we didn't have those ways back then where you could have reached out and say, you know, DM me or something. Or Linda, story, listen, know, to, listen to my side. There's two sides to everything. Right. Yeah. Back then, you know, yeah. you guys had to just sit and take it, right? Whatever it was, there was no way of getting in touch. Not that, you know. That's kind of funny. And I, and well, I good. Do, I, I do remember too, because Edgar Martinez, he was yes. that, that was kind of my boy. He he was locker room uh, locker mates next to me. I said, Edgar, did you hear what Linda said? He goes, Yeah, Booney, she didn't hear the other side of the story. I said, What's going on? We well, next time Linda's around, you let me know. All right. <laughs> and he's looking <laughs> oh, at me that, like, whatever, Brett. <laughs> that, that's good. <laughs> no, that's good. Yes, you know, listen, those mariners would always always be special. To me, because I, I when I was in Seattle, you know, it wasn't that your 2001 team winning a million, oh. 116 games, as you know, it was like it was it was I was in Seattle from late 89. So I was there for 1990, 91 and then half of 92. Yeah, half of 92. Well, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, this was a pleasure, Linda. I thank you for your time. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. And that voice is Dan Levy. Dan? That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Moon Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.